Welcome to episode one of Ace Interpretations, a podcast about asexuality, fandom, and where they intersect. I'm one of the three co-hosts, Love the Heaven, here with two other co-hosts, Quartic and KK. I'm really happy they decided to join me and that we're doing this podcast. I think there's a lot we can cover on asexuality and fandom, and we'll have episode topics for the foreseeable future. I don't see us running out of like ideas. There's just so much to talk about. And this first episode, we're going to cover more basics. Um, and so we started with a really broad topic. And we're not going to cover everything there is to talk about within the topic. The topic we chose for this episode has to do with shipping, but we're also just going to talk about what asexuality is and a little bit about like even what fandom is and go from there. So each one of us will introduce ourselves. Um, I'll start. I love the heaven. I am a gray aromantic gray panromantic asexual. I am sex averse, and that's pretty important in terms of how I uh, identify as well. And in terms of what fandoms I like, well, I'm really multi-fanish. I guess a big part of where I fall in fandom is actually the fact that I'm a vitter first and foremost. I like to edit fan videos, and I also like um, fan fiction and editing podfix and recording my voice and reading out loud other people's fanfics and turning them into audiobook type things. But in terms of which specific fandoms I do all this in, it really varies. I like the Arrowverse shows, so The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. I like Gilmore Girls a lot. I relatively recently got into Sherlock, and there's a lot of other ones. It's really hard for me to narrow it down, but that's a good start for me. All right. I am Quartic Moose. Call me Quartic. They, them pronouns. And I am aromantic asexual, known as Aroace. In terms of fandom, I, too, am very multi-fandom, including fandoms for which I've never seen the show or read the book. Oftentimes, I get sucked into those via crossover. Looking at the pattern, I tend to watch a lot of things that involve saving the world. So a lot of comic books, a lot of Marvel, uh, Doctor Who, Stargate Atlantis. If the world's in peril, that for whatever reason is very interesting to me. I read a lot of fanfic, and I do some writing of fanfic, not as much as I'd like. There's so many ideas that I haven't actually managed to get down or finish, but they're bopping around a bit. Um, and I do a little bit of fan bidding as well. And I'm Quartic from the future, uh, retroactively apologizing for my poor mic quality uh, for most of this episode. It will get better in the future, which is where I'm from. Hi, everyone. I'm KK. I am a demisexual, bisexual female. She, her pronouns. And I am in a lot of fandoms. I definitely in the multi-fandom. I ooh, am into old Star Trek. New Star Trek, Stargate, Doctor Who, Sherlock, a ton of fantasy sci-fi book series that I will not go into at this time, because that will take us forever. And then I'm also into more kind of current fandoms, like the Marvel thing that's exploding right now. Yuri on Ice and anime took over my life for a good chunk of time there. So admittedly, you'll probably hear a fair amount of that from all of the fanfic and stuff that I've been trolling around. Awesome. I forgot to mention my pronouns, but I will add in right now that I'm also she, her, like KK. And I also have a ton of fandoms that I didn't mention. I think we all do. I know we all do. There's just so many. <laughs> and we have a lot of fandoms, and there are still a few that none of us know that still are relevant to asexuality, so we learn about them, and we will maybe invite on guest hosts at some point in the future to talk about some of those. But we have um, no limit to the number of different TV shows and films and books, series that we might talk about in the course of the show. Yeah, because I think this is a great point to talk about what is fandom. For anyone unfamiliar with the word, it is I would say like the subculture of fans surrounding a particular work of media. And so there's, I personally sort of 
there's some shows that I watch that I'm a fan of, but I don't consider myself in the fandom. I'm not engaging with other fans. I'm not, well, maybe I might engage like just talking about a show, but I'm not producing or consuming any kind of meta material, you know, fan fiction or money is meta, but that's not helping me clarify my definition. <laughs> you know, no, people, but I think you've explained it very well in that it's basically the fan community that comes together creating content about the show, around the show, taking the characters and putting them in different situations, like you often see in different AU fanfics, historical ones, whatever. Yeah. It's different than just talking about it at a coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is involved in social media. There's a huge, you know, it's a within the social media cyberspace, you know, there's pockets of fandom and sometimes there's a lot with other things. And as a vitter, I think we adjust the definition here and there, but if you're willing to use clips from that show into any fan video at all, even a multi-fandom one, then you can list it in a list of like, these are all the fandoms, even though you're not really doing much with it. But if you just watch a show and you never like included even just one you know, clip of the of your favorite ship in the show. You know, you never would do that because you don't have the footage handy, and it's just like a show you like to watch. But you're not gonna like put it. You know, it's just a reality show or something. A lot of people will not call that the fandom because they use like live action dramas in their fan videos or something like that. So that's where fandom becomes like a just a, a noun that means TV show or film or something. But people. People, like, adjust the words over time to mean different things in different pockets of the fandom community. But, yeah, mainly it's this big subculture of people. The fandom are the fans. So that's usually how the word is used. Yeah. Like, the kingdom isn't the... In this case, the kingdom's not the king. The kingdom is the people. Yes. Uh, And so, yeah, I just want to say, I don't think that that's really stretching the definition of it all. Because, again, to be part of the fandom, you don't have to be producing material you can just be consuming you can definitely just be a fan well yes that's true as well and just you know i think making gift sets or photo sets or even what are those things uh tumblr it's like a photo it's just an aesthetic photo set like oh finding pictures not from the show itself Mm -hmm. oh yeah like like, mood boards or something yeah Yeah. like that's fandom you know and of course, not just making them, but liking them, consuming them, deciding you you enjoy seeking them out and following a blog where all they do is make mood boards that are associated with the four Harry Potter houses, which also I'm in Harry Potter fandom. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that are part of the periphery of fandom. And some of that intersects with asexuality, which is what this podcast is about. So let's define... Now that we've defined fandom, let's define asexuality. And that's a little bit tricky. The very simplest definition is a lack of sexual attraction. So asexuality in its most basic form is not finding people hot or sexy or, you know, not being attracted to people in that way. And there's a whole gray asexual spectrum. And there's also a whole debate over the definition and it's not it's a it's a fuzzy area it's not a hard and fast rule it's whatever whenever asexuality resonates with a person so asexuality a lot of people come to it because they realize they're not interested in sex and it's not about attraction per se but the biggest most common definition is the lack of attraction one and a romanticism is a word that's copied asexuality in the definitional structure. So it's about having a lack of romantic attraction. Basically, you don't feel crushes on people. You could kind of maybe say romantic attraction is like crushes and that sexual attraction is kind of like lust or something, but... Yeah. A romanticism, that's when you just don't feel like, wow, he's so wonderful. And asexual is, again, it's a lack of sexual attraction. It's just okay. And um, KK here is demisexual. So we should define that now just because that, you know, might as well clarify. So how about you handle that, KK? Yeah. So as she was saying, there's a lot of kind of 
gray areas to asexuality and aromanticism. It's like any other sexuality. There's a spectrum. There's a whole bunch of different little layers to it where people fall. I fall into the demisexual category. Now, the best way to kind of describe that is that I kind of fall in between your normal definition of sexuality and asexuality. For me, it's... I think it comes back to kind of what you were saying with the, like, you see someone, you're like, wow, they're so hot. That doesn't happen for me. Or a lot of demisexuals. We can look at someone and we can admit that, like, okay, they are aesthetically pleasing, but it doesn't really resonate in the same way to us. For us, in this section of sexuality, it's more, it's about emotional connection. Once we have that, we can then we then start experiencing physical attraction as well. But the emotional connection has to happen first. Yeah. And by the way, a lot of asexuals also experience aesthetic attraction, and it's defined yeah. different ways for different people. But that's the way that demisexuals basically um, feel just like asexuals. It's not like a different thing that demisexuals are feeling when they're like admitting this person is pleasing to look at, but it's not a sexual thing when they're just a stranger. Like it's this complicated area and everyone's different. Some people say they don't experience any attraction at all, but in attraction is defined all sorts of complicated ways, but that's the mm-hmm. gist of it. And yeah, it's about a strong emotional bond forming, and then not everyone you have a strong emotional bond with are you sexually attracted to. Just yeah, it it, it starts <laughs> having the potential only after. Yeah, <laughs> basically, if if you want to describe it as some people experience physical attraction first, that just never happens. There's like a wall to that step <laughs> to Talk getting to that level. So all this talk about like asexuality versus aromanticism is known as the split attraction model, which basically says that sexual attraction and romantic attraction are, in fact, capable of being separated. They're not the same thing. For a lot of people, they do seem to go hand in hand. And they got to love, oh, you can't, how can you possibly have romance without sex? Like, they're basically the same thing. I think a really clear example of how they're not is Beauty and the Beast. Now, you can cleave to the interpretation that it is a bestial relationship, but I think it's pretty obvious that's not the intended interpretation. You mean you know? sexually attracted to a beast? Yes. You know? <laughs> like, that's, yeah, I don't get that. It's not meant to be. You know, okay. it is meant to be, you know, it's a love story, and she, they fall in love, and she's, she's not sexually attracted to him as a beast, but they do become romantically attracted. And fall in love and break a spell. It's great. Uh, and so I think if you can wrap your head around the idea that, oh yeah, Beauty and the Beast, romantic love, not sexual love, then you can kind of... I've never actually heard this analogy. I really like it. Yeah. This, well, this is... I, when I, it's a great example. Yeah. When I came out of the, the new live action one, like I was like, oh my goodness. Like, it just it came... It clicked for me. So yeah. So if you can wrap your head around Beauty and the Beast as something other than weird bestial perversion, then you can so wrap your head around the idea that romantic attraction and sexual attraction are in fact separate. And so it is possible then to, well, it's definitely possible for asexuals to pursue uh, romantic relationships uh, Mm -hmm. if they're so inclined. And that brings us to our topic of the day, which is shipping. So in fandom, the term shipping uh, derives from the word relationship. You know, it's the idea of pairing characters together. It's like, oh, I think this character and this character should totally get together. Sometimes they're what we call canon relationships, and I apologize to people who are already in fandom and are like, why are you telling me things that I already know? <laughs> We're just covering ground. We're all very quickly. So we just can- want to make sure everyone is on the same page. Yep. Canon relationships are those that are present in the uh, source material. And then there is any number of weird pairs or rare pairs or just favorite pairs and there's what are known as slash pairings, which would be homosexual uh relationships, or in this case homoromantic, in particular asexual relationships. And so a huge part of fandom uh is in fact uh a huge part of fandom revolves around shipping. 
Um, and there's ship wars when one group of people who prefer one pairing will just have at it with a group that prefers a different pairing. We're not going to get into uh, the culture of shipping in this episode. Please, no. Yeah. Not in this episode, but maybe we'll have to confront it in a later one. Oh, that's true. Oh, it's intense. But, uh, yeah, so we're just going to move right along. Uh, talking about how asexual relationships might appear in fandom. One thing I wanted to say is there's two different issues at play here that we could easily talk about that are some of the most basics, and that's how can someone who is aromantic and asexual still like shipping, and how can characters who are asexual be shipped? And there's lots of different ways that this happens and we just want to cover the basics of like explain the basics of how this works and the easiest way to talk about asexual people liking shipping some of them are of course not aromantic so we often can use a word like alloromantic to talk about people who aren't aromantic but romantic aces or alloromantic aces have pretty hopefully understandable motivations for liking romance in all contexts, just like the the Beauty and the Beast example explained, you can definitely have feelings that are devoid of thinking about sexual things that are romantic. And shipping in different contexts can be more sexualized than in other contexts. But if it was completely devoid of the sexual things, that's pretty understandable. But... Sometimes even the sexual parts are enjoyable to asexual people. Even people who have no sexual desire at all will enjoy sexual shipping. They're they're enjoying it because of like the stronger relationship it, it kind of represents being built, as opposed to yeah, maybe because it's like you know there's aces who might even just enjoy straight up porn. Oh, that's um, right. We so I think. Is like asexuals as people, they're as diverse in their interests as anybody else. Yeah. What you consume in media and what you enjoy reading about or listening to is or watching, it's different from feeling that attraction to have sex yourself or, or desiring to grow up and have sex yourself. You know, it's like I watch, I mentioned before, watch a lot of shows where the world is in peril. I don't actually want the world to be in peril. You know, because what is entertaining to watch, you know, in fiction is very, very different from what I do and what I want to happen in my real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good a good way of putting it. And I mean, yeah, aces, there's a, there's a big variety. There are aces who are turned off by the sex stuff, and there are aces that are turned on by the sex stuff. There are aces who essentially are sex-repulsed, including in media, and... They don't want to ever read an explicit fanfic, and they would rather it all be about the romance, and when they ship, if they ship, you know, in those cases, it's it's a non-sexual thing entirely. But there are others who really like two other characters that are completely devoid of themselves being in a sexual context, and that can be really exciting and arousing and all sorts of things, and it really depends on the asexual person. And, of course, there's a whole gray spectrum, too. So for some asexual people, they actually can imagine, you know, being in that situation to one degree or another, and it's they're still ace, they're still ace people, and they could still be sexual in some context. It doesn't mean you have no sexuality for some of these aces. So that's another thing that's, you know, there's a whole range of how this can work. I think that's a good point you just made, which is that asexuality does not mean just no sexuality, which Uh, is how some people kind of see it, which is just completely inaccurate because, again, huge spectrum all over there. And in some ways, there's there's more than one way of being asexual. The common definition is like uh, a lack of sexual attraction, but there's some people who just have such a low libido that they strongly identify with mm-hmm. the asexual group anyway. And that's fine too. Like oh, um, yeah. the term asexuality resonated, you know, and they identified strongly with it. 
mm-hmm. despite the fact and they have a lot of shared experiences with the asexual community is the biggest thing probably I think that's that's a great point like the shared experience because you know talking about this there'll be some people wondering like well if you're if you you know like watching porn and you might consider a sexual relationship what makes you asexual after all um, the fact that I spent the time watching this just giggling because it's ridiculous <laughs> some people might be wondering like oh if if there's aces who watch porn and might consider having sex acts, what makes them asexual? Um, aren't they basically straight or basically gay, as the case may be? The truth is, they might still have a lot of the same shared experiences as other asexuals uh, living in a heavily heteronormative society. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, just because they don't fit some rigid definition of asexuality doesn't make them any less valid as asexuals. I am myself aromantic and not interested in sex or sexually attracted in any capacity. So at this point, I'm speaking for others out there who I know exist. I know some personally, um, but I just wanted to put that disclaimer in there. Yeah. Yeah, So I think another reason why uh, some aces might be reading a lot of shipping fic, besides the fact that that's most of the fic out there, is because they might not know at first that they're asexual. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. You know, I was, in some ways, like, when I started questioning my sexual identity, I was using it to kind of try and figure it out. And so, in that time, I've been reading shipping fics, you know, and finding them interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, is this something I want? You know, am I gay? Am I bi? You know, what is it? Understanding that, you know, this is fiction and it's not, it's, it's idealized fantasy, you know, it's not. Yeah, but it's like, is this my fantasy? Is this something, you know, it's what people aspire to. It's like, if there's a really fluffy, sweet story, you know, people falling in love and it's like, do I want that? And it's like, I don't know. I was on the fence for a while. And then, you know, even after I, I sort of came to understand that I was asexual, I didn't realize I was aromantic until much later because, you know, there was that kind of almost knee-jerk rejection of the idea of not finding someone. Uh, because I personally think it's just so ingrained in our society, you know, the message that uh, you have to find someone to be happy. But that's a whole other topic. But the thing is, was in this time, you know, between when I learned about asexuality and when I learned about or realized that I was myself aromantic, I was reading Chipping Fix. You know, um, I would say that I personally am not a huge uh, OTP, like one true pairing shipper. Um, you know, I don't necessarily root for, oh, yeah, these two, you know, as I'm watching the show, I'm not super interested in like, oh, these two would make such a great couple. But I like reading the stories of a variety of pairings and see, oh, hey, how would that work out? And, oh, hey, yeah, that's a neat relationship dynamic if those two you know mm-hmm. or those three you know got together and so it just it's it's a story is what it is for me mm-hmm. and i think all three of us had a similar time of kind of when we were kind of figuring things out like we would read things and be kind of like oh, well that kind of makes sense that kind of connects more to me and that that's something all three of us i think kind of did yeah I also was into vidding for a long time where I would really, really dive into the lyrics of a lot of love songs. I mean, it wasn't only for love songs. I probably did more non-shipping fan videos than a lot of my allosexual friends, the non-asexual mm-hmm. friends I have, you know, and non-aromantic spectrum friends I have. But, you know, I really enjoyed exploring the TV show characters and other non-shipping aspects. But the romance part was like, I was trying to understand it. I was trying to understand what are these feelings that people apparently feel enough to write into a song, you know, and that TV shows Mm -hmm. match close enough that I can like match lyric to lyric for one couple. So clearly this can't be that idealized of a fantasy. Like there's gotta be something real in here. If there's so much that's like, you know, parallel and all these different stories and all these different songs and which parts of it do, can I relate to? Because I think I had a lot of living vicariously through or 
empathizing with the emotion with or sympathizing with the emotion without feeling it myself. And I was trying to understand myself for, you know, I started yeah. bidding when I was like 16 and I was already old enough that I probably should have had some of those feelings, but I didn't really. And I took many years before I even heard of the term asexuality and realized there was an option out there to not be some orientation of the few I had heard of, you know, <laughs> like there was just, yeah. you know, so that's part of the complicated way that shipping can happen for certain aromantic asexuals. And I am gray aromantic, so that gets more complicated too. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it for a lot of people. But there's also other reasons that we haven't even mentioned because, like we said, the asexual community is really diverse and they have as many different reasons and motivations as anyone else for, for things. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, now that we've covered that, talking about uh, asexual relationships in fandom. You know, these are then stories written about one or more asexual character who form a romantic relationship. And so people will go into fandoms to create these pairings and find that. And I think the clearest example that we've mentioned kind of to each other is the Sherlock fandom, which had a ton of kind of asexual aromanticism fix come out around a bit just because of the kind of dynamic that Sherlock and Watson have and how Sherlock, of course, especially in the kind of, I guess the first season, I think it was of the new BBC show. Even the very first episode, there's like one line in particular that I think spawned a lot of asexual fix. Yeah. Um, Again, it was like that first season that just kind of rocketed it. And it was also just the right timing, right? It was around 2011 when a few people had heard of asexuality and that, that's a good point. That helps. <laughs> good point. For those of you that don't know and maybe are a little bit younger, there was a whole generation that we did not know. Like there yeah. was no definition given to us that this was an option for the longest time, which is part of why the three of us had our own confusions and coming to terms and understanding ourselves yeah. because we were just not aware. It was not provided to us as information. I specifically learned about asexuality through the Sherlock fandom, not through fanfic, but actually through the TV Tropes website. Mm-hmm. You know, and it lists all the tropes appearing in this work, and asexuality alphabetically was very near the top. So I was going to read the whole list anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was in the, I think the very first episode, uh, there's a moment when John is trying to figure out if Sherlock is single or not. You know, so he's just like, oh, and he's oh so yeah. And Sherlock's like, no. And he's like, oh, and he boyfriends, though. And Sherlock's not really my area, you know, so he rejects the idea of both girlfriends and boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was like one of the springboards then for a lot of ace fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this idea that Sherlock isn't interested in either. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting to interpret Sherlock as asexual. And try to figure out how would this be fun to play with in a fanfic. And you don't have to do it in a shipping way, but the culture around fanfiction is so often people only want to read about their favorite ships. And this is the template you've seen a lot. You've seen, you know, Sherlock lives with someone and they have this really close bond. And a lot of people like to ship them in a slash way, which is the, you know, gay pairing type of term. And if you, you can say, well, I actually kind of like those fanfics too. I just want to, you know, this time see what if he was asexual, what if he was asexual becomes part of a ship instead of just part of a character study. And there's so many different ways that it's easier maybe in a ship to explore the asexuality because sex in all sorts of forms can come up and sexual attraction Mm -hmm. can come up if there's a person that you're like, that is sexually attracted to you, but you don't feel it back. If there is someone who 
wants to have sex with you and you're not sure if you're gonna, you know, enjoy that or not, or you try it and you realize you don't enjoy it, or there's so many different what if scenarios that you can play with. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of the ways, especially those early asexual shipping fics would go, not just in that fandom, but especially in that fandom, because that was a big fandom. That was a popular show. And still is a popular show. And it still is. <laughs> yes. Um, and I mean, there's the basic way is often they're not aromantic. That's the easiest way to still do a shipping fic is yeah. they still are in love or they, and of course in love is different than a crush, but they still either have a romantic crush, even without the sexuality or they mm-hmm. still have, they fall in love or, they are gray asexual and they are, or demisexual, either one, not, they're not the same thing, but they could be either one of those and they have sexual feelings for this one person and that kind of makes it even more special, like as part of the shipping uh, yeah. feeling. And of course, if there isn't that, there's just a ton of cuddling all the time. Oh. Uh, this is off topic, but I'm just, for me, like you said, gay pairing, and I'm like, that is a much better definition of slash than a homosexual or homoromantic relationship that I used earlier. Because I said homosexual relationship, and I was like, that doesn't uh, sound like uh, Gay pairing. I should have said gay pairing. <laughs> Hindsight is always twenty twenty. It's okay. Yep. Interestingly, um, more and more I'm seeing some soulmate AU fix that recognize asexuality as a possibility. So instead of like, okay, everybody has like their one soulmate, you know, which is still true, but then it's like, oh, there's like variations where like some of the soulmate bonds are platonic. Mm-hmm. Um, which I definitely appreciate. That has been really nice to see coming up in the fandoms, because again, for a long time, the soulmate AU was again, it was very, you have your one soulmate, you know, everything's perfect, once you find them, and it was just straight once you find them, oh good, now there's sex everywhere. For yeah. some reason. And of course, yeah, there's even aromantic versions of this, uh, it's like a trope in fanfiction culture mm-hmm. of like, everyone started being like, ooh, I like this idea, let me write a soulmate AU too. And I, and mm-hmm. there's, platonic can mean it's non-romantic, but you can have a sexual, or at least in asexual communities, we use the word platonic mm-hmm. to mean neither romantic, well, especially just not romantic, whether or not it's sexual even, but, it often can mean non-romantic and non-sexual. But you can have romantic without all the sex, and that could be a soulmate. Or you can have an aromantic person who still has a soulmate. They're not destined to be alone because it's platonic and a, a you know, it's still it's like a mm-hmm. different type of soulmate. Or you can have a story that recognizes that someone might not have a soulmate mark at all because some people don't have you know, those feelings, and it's not every single person in the world gets the exact same type of thing, and they acknowledge a different experience, and I read some pretty good ones like that. I think there was one in Glee fandom I really enjoyed, and Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff like that can be a really cool way to take a really heteronormative, or maybe not heteronormative, a lot of times they're slash-based, but they're Mm -hmm. a matter-normative and compulsory (laughs) sexuality. They're, they're, They're... erasing asexuality types of um, worlds they've built, world building, mm-hmm. and yeah. instead and really- twist it, subvert it, and try to figure out a way to take this extreme, this trope that was alienating and make it less alienating for the aromantics and asexual people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really was, like what you said about, you know, taking erasing it from the whole world, because it's not just like, oh, it's a romantic story, and all mm-hmm. the characters within the story are you know, romantic and sexual, because that it's like, okay, well, there could be someone, you know, in it elsewhere who's not in the story who is asexual, but to take the entire world and say that every person on the planet is sexual is the way in which those sorts of soulmate views were erasing asexuality. Yeah, and, it was, and it's a little scary to read them that way. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I particularly like the, uh, I mean... You know, when you have a soulmate at you, there's all sorts of magic workarounds to make sure that it's actually possible for you to meet your soulmate. But uh, one of XPC's what-if uh, responses is really good talking about how, like, okay, but if there were soulmates, how would, one, you know, the statistical likelihood of you actually meeting them, and what if your soulmate's already dead or not? And some mm-hmm. 
but how <laughs> how society if it was like oh you'll know your soulmate you know when you make eye contact you know how would that change the way society mm-hmm. is structured so that jobs with more eye contact become you know more prestigious like if you're a cashier in a grocery store you make eye contact with like lots of people every day so everybody wants to be cashiers or mm-hmm. crossing guards or someplace you know <laughs> the, the job where you get to meet more mm-hmm. people become more valuable. And of course, this is part of the fun of fan fiction is that the more thoughtful, careful writers will think about all these what ifs and like think about, well, if you're really saying this is the premise, then what are all the implications? But a lot of these types of things can be really invalidating and not inclusive enough. You know, if it's eye contact, what about blind people? If it's um, you know, polyamory is a lot of times really excluded as an option, or even just, you know, if someone has a partner die, mm-hmm. they've romanticized the idea of never finding love again, instead of acknowledging that it's really okay to find love again. And like, those mm-hmm. kinds of things can be problematic in ways completely divorced from asexuality or aromanticism. These types of stories have all sorts of you know, accesses upon which you could criticize, but, um, but they're really... It's true. At the same time, it's just so impressive that someone made this world. And, it's like, really fun thought It usually thought as much as they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just... Like, I always feel bad for thinking about that stuff, too, because, again, it's like, they've put so much thought already into this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think part of the fun of fandom is spending all this time enjoying the criticizing, too, when it ha- when it's relevant, but... I also, you know, yeah, I think even things that are uh, problematic can still be fun, and there's no yes. harm in enjoying them sometimes, especially yeah. when they're really well done. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's interesting, because, like, I mean, for sure, it's definitely easy for me, you know, because of, you know, the privileges that I have, you know, to, and I mean, that's one of the big problems, this isn't social, this podcast is not meant to be about social commentary. Um you know, the, the, I do feel like that conflict between like, okay, yeah, I can ignore this and enjoy it anyway, but it's like, oh, but isn't that why it's a problem in the first place? Because the majority of people are ignoring it. It's like, but mm-hmm. I can't gauge with every single problem continuously. You know, I, I would burn out. Um, it's true. And we definitely can't do it here. <laughs> this is a fun podcast about... There's just so much stuff to cover. Yeah. But talking about, like, problematic things, because, like, some ace representation is, unsurprisingly, you know, somewhat problematic, you know, when it's like, oh, if it's, you know, an alien or a robot is mm-hmm. the ace full character, and it's like, okay, well, that's somewhat alienating, but... I <laughs> alienating for an alien. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, that is just, like, the perfect term, because it is what it is. It's also but dehumanizing, as part as the... That's, that's like the, the robot. <laughs> yes, it's dehumanizing. Um... Uh, but I'm sometimes, like, so starved for ace representation, I'll read it anyway, and sometimes it's just really well-written and fun. And I'll read it and be like, oh, I love this story. I mean, yeah, there's unfortunate connotations, but the story is great, and I don't care. And the biggest problem is that it becomes a trope. It becomes all the stories. Like, the you know, you, you can think of more examples where it's an alien character who's asexual because they're an alien. That's the explanation within the universe and while yeah. all the parts other than that little explanation are really fun and great, especially when the alien has like a human form and you can you, bear, you often even forget they're an alien to some degree, mm-hmm. but they're telling you that like human beings wouldn't be asexual and that, that can like be painful to different degrees. The more, you know, you see it or the way it hits you or the way like it's a, if, if the writer really thinks that that's like, well, what am I then? Like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and it gets even worse when they get into the, like, you have the character that, again, is, like, asexual, and then they, like, fix them. Because, again, like, the person they find, and they're like, oh, no, I was just not wanting it till I met you. Yeah, I honestly don't even consider that. (laughs) I don't even consider that good asexual representation. Usually, because it's not. uh, Like, I'm like, like, that's not. (laughs) No, that's not how it works. (laughs) This is. Yeah, but but sometimes I get I get cynical and it's like I mean there's a lot of like unrequited love fix, um and I would just like to see one where it stays unrequited because usually it's like you, <laughs> you know it's like one character's pining at the other but oh no they don't like me and it's like happening both ways because it's like Shakespeare you know nobody talks about communication would solve everything yeah you know it, like every problem in every romance movie my God 
Exactly. And so it's like, so it's like this, you know, a story like that. And sometimes I will read Mutual Pony because, you know, it's well written or it's funny or, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then there's times I'm like, okay, can we have Pony where it's unrequited but has a, a happy ending anyway? Where it's like, okay. Because that's from my own relationships. You know, it was mm-hmm. like I was in a relationship with two boyfriends. Uh, and they, not the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually about to say, I feel like, wow. <laughs> You know, it's like, again, like, a lot today. if it was an open poly relationship, fine, but it wasn't. Uh, okay. It felt really uneven to me, because I was like, okay, there's no such thing as love at first sight. You know, so he asked me out, and I'm like, and I say yes, because I haven't been asked out before. It's, you know, so it's like, I will, I will have to date you to find out if I like you that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure what that way is, but I assume I'll know it when I feel it, because at that point, I've never felt it. Still mm-hmm. haven't. But it was this very kind of uneven, like he was more into me than I was into him. And so that over time, that made me increasingly uncomfortable because whatever feelings I was supposed to be feeling just like weren't manifesting, you know, either romantically or definitely not sexually. And so, you know, I ended up having to be the one to say, like, I, this isn't working. Um, how is this time? I was talking about something else. So unrequited. Um, yes, thank you. Unrequited. <laughs> you know, I guess more so is the idea that I just get so tired of that, that, you know, compulsory sexuality, the, the heteronormative or mm-hmm. not just the heteronormative, as you say, like this, this strong, like, oh, everybody, you know, finds a relationship and then is happy. And it's like, can we have people be happy? The word for this is a matanormative, and we can talk about a matanormativity in another episode, but it's, it's the heteronormativity side of romantic stuff is expected, and yeah. it's not exclusive to hetero, but it's, it is exclusive to romance. <laughs> yeah. So, like, a, a genfic in which there's, like, no relationships whatsoever is an aversion. You're like, it doesn't address relationships, relationship relationships at all, but I'm like, can we have yeah, I'd like to see shippy relationships that are unequal, you know, that it's not like, oh, this unrequited love isn't always actually required in the end. Yeah, I, I think in some ways I related to both sides of unrequited pairings, and I really like stories that explore the the idea of, like, like I would fall for someone myself, maybe, but never, but, but would want them in a way that they would never want me because I would want it to be non-sexual or something or, or whatever it is. And exactly. I would be on the other side of it where, you know, it would be nice to see that, you know, someone can like someone a lot. And yeah, it, even if like nothing, it's still going to be friendship and nothing more forever because the other person just doesn't like them back because I would be the person that's not liking you back. And, all of that, like, that that stuff can be frustrating to see not enough realistic portrayals of the nuance of how that can really work in real life, because a lot of people just get caught up in the fun of the fantasy of everyone gets who they want, and everyone's happily ever after, and no one is asexual or aromantic in these stories. Can we call it a Disney effect, where we get just the happily ever after every time? I feel like that's a Disney thing. I think, yeah, I think that is the term. I don't know if the Disney effect refers to that or something else. No, but I, but the second she was like, everyone gets their happily ever after, I was like, this is Disney. <laughs> well, the Disney effect, for sure, yeah. The same. Um, but yeah, you know, but then to say, hey, you know, you can have an unrequited love stick that isn't ultimately requited and have a happy ending anyway. You know, like you were saying before with the soulmates, like, oh, if your soulmate dies, you can find love again. Like, that is... A hopeful message. Yeah. Um, oh, the, the uh, another just talking about you know asexual relationships in fandom, like asexual ships. Um, a lot of them might pivot around coming out. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, um, yeah, there is that. Um, sometimes there's a lot of angst because the asexual character will really want to pursue. A relationship, but they feel that their asexuality is some sort of obstacle and they haven't told them they're asexual. Uh, but somebody coming up, um, they haven't told who they're asexual? Their prospective partner. Yeah. You know, they haven't 
out to their partner or who they want to Mm-hmm. Yeah, often I notice a lot of those fics are fairly short, but or not necessarily, but often, and the, the whole story is they're going to not accept me because I'm a horrible, broken, asexual person, and then at the end oh, no. it's a happily ever after because of course I accept you, 100%, and they just like kiss but don't have sex, or whatever, and that's like, and it's kind of not very realistic in my opinion there's there's but, yeah. but it depends on the situation they can be uh still validating to read depending on the the story yeah I, I mean and sometimes that is kind of what happens because you know you've been this way forever so it's like okay now i just know the term you're using yeah and on the other hand again it can be inaccurate because there are people who are like what yeah no just this morning i was reading a fic it was a darcy lewis Sam Wilson uh, pairing in a soulmate AU. And I thought it was great because they meet and they're like, oh, we're soulmates. And then on the very first date, you know, like, Darcy's like, they're ready for dating. She's like, okay, I gotta tell him that I'm asexual. Like, you know, get that out in the open at the start of things. And then he's like, oh, there's something I have to tell you. And like, you know, it's like, oh, no, what is it? And it's like, I'm asexual. It's like, oh, hey, me too. And then they just <gasps> <laughs> This magical moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the first time I read one of those Me Too stories is probably Sherlock, and I really liked it, but it's really kind of ridiculous at the same time, because it's like, obviously in canon, the character's not a Me Too character in that case. Yeah. And in general, that's not how it usually works for a lot of people. But I did I did meet a couple in real life once that that was their story. The Me Too, like... <laughs> So I guess That's it can amazing. happen. I guess it can happen. Well, especially, <laughs> it, yeah. especially when you think that it's a soulmate AU, and so there's mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, higher power who's making these matches. So of course, like they would pair up people who, not of course, but yeah, it's nice. would not conflict. They pair up people with compatible sexuality. Yes, of course, a soulmate is actually a soulmate. I think you're right. Dear God, <laughs> what were the chances? <laughs> It makes sense in, in that context. Um, but the other side of, of coming out stories are sometimes like if the character doesn't know that they're asexual. And so they start having, they've got a crush and they're like, oh, we want to do this. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know that I'm feeling, you know, what I should be feeling. And then over the course of the relationship, uh, learn about asexuality. We'll come to that in that's more like a discovering instead of coming out type of trope, yeah. maybe. You know what? You're absolutely right. That is a... You know, but then they... I guess eventually they do have to come out once, once they figure it out. I mean, eventually, yes, but... But yeah, essentially, yeah. these are stories that are often all about the ship. It's like almost all about the relationship, but the the asexuality component is all about discovering you're asexual. It's not something where the character is discovering they're asexual in the context of a ton of different relationships in their lives. It's about discovering it in terms of this one ship. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of fix, uh, I think it's about time for our rec section, don't you? I think you're right. So the rec section is going to be just, we're each going to pick a fic that we like that has to do with asexuality, fandom, and all that, and we are each going to present one of our favorites to you guys. Mine for this week is The Rules for Lovers by a Dreaming Songbird from AO3. This is a more popular fic, admittedly, so you guys may already know about it. It's using the characters from Yuri and Ice because, as I stated earlier, this kind of ruined my life for a little while here. But it is one of my current favorites. It's already completed, and it does a great job of creating an alternate universe that has both magic and technology, which is something I really enjoy. And it just has a really nice nod to a to actual demisexuality. Um, and it doesn't make a big deal of it or anything. It's just kind of this little fact that comes up and it's just handled incredibly nicely, which was just something that was really nice to me to have that in a universe. Yeah, that's really nice. I'm glad that, that in your fandom, there's that kind of demisexual 
understanding. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really sweet things about Yuri and Ice fandom in general, and I wish I was in it a little bit, but I don't have time for all the fandoms in the world. But uh <laughs> We make time. So uh, after a lot of deliberation, I decided to wreck Variations in Modern Dance by Puka Seraph on AO3. This is an older fic from, I guess, 2012, and it is also somewhat more popular. But I decided to pick this one because it's a pretty good example of some of the archetypes we were talking about earlier. Um, so if you're new to, to the concept of asexuality... Uh, it sort of covers a lot of those points that are common to the asexual experience, especially in trying to pursue a mixed orientation relationship. I would say, hold on, brain's going in two different directions at once. There's a couple things to say. One, I guess, would be uh, mind the tags. It's a mature fic. Uh, if you have, there's some notes at the end of the fic about some of the the content tags if you're wondering like well what what is the dubious consent here it's like okay kind of explains it uh in a little more detail like what what's going on but i haven't said the fandom yeah, or the I, was a, I was about yet. to ask I, what fandom was this again <laughs> i was going to if you didn't it's bring gotta it. be something <laughs> didn't 2012 give it away that it's avengers fanfic <laughs> no <laughs> well admittedly <laughs> yeah yeah no this is a steve Steve Rogers, Tony Stark fic, uh, where Steve is asexual but doesn't have a word for it or, or know what's going on. Um, so he's just trying to like figure out how to fix himself. He's like, he thinks that there's something wrong with him that needs to change. So Captain America is asexual? Yes. He develops a romantic relationship where he, he wants to start dating. Uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man. Cool. Yeah. That's a very, well, not as, and this is as, as an asexual, but that is a very, very, very common pairing in the fandom. It does seem to be. Yeah, I've heard of the pairing, but I haven't actually read, like, most of the Avengers fix or any almost that are, uh, in this genre of asexual characters, so I probably should read that one. Since it's all old and good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like, I would say there's definitely things that have come out that are maybe better, but, but what we're talking about is like, oh, it was better sometimes, like, more, more of a deviation from the norm, but this is kind of like, um, not the word, what's, it's a similar in definition to archetype, but it's, there's a very specific word I'm looking for. Foundational? I don't know. Representational? No, no, no. Uh, not Paragon, but like a, something that's a, a a perfect example of something. <sighs> this is gonna bug me for the rest of the day, but I just I just have to move on. What is the word? That, no, move on, move on. Epitome. I did Google for synonyms. <laughs> uh, it, it it might begin with either a P or a C. <laughs> There's prototype. Paragon, Epitome, Exemplar. I don't know. Yeah, Archetype is one of the ones that comes up, too. Yeah. There's a little... Uh, the nuance of language. Anyway. It's a good example of it. You know, it's... it's Your mileage may vary, you know, whether the angst is too much. It's like, oh, this is too much angst. Or it's like, oh, there's not enough angst. I love angst. But it's... I don't think it's too heavy-handed in explaining asexuality. You know, it doesn't dump a lot of exposition on it, but instead it, I guess it show the, the whole adage like show don't tell. Um, it manages that pretty good in that you, it, it's, I guess maybe read it and, and form your own opinions. <laughs> um, I think I've talked around it enough. Yeah. That actually is something I should add on about mine as well. There is some little angsty things. Yeah, I mean, this has angst. A lot of people have that experience, you know. It's like, it's not, I think, to say, like, oh, let's have, like, a, a story without angst. And it's like, well, okay, but it, that's kind of unrealistic in some ways. But but mine also has, like, no angst. So I think having some wrecks with angst and some with all the happiness <laughs> is a good combination for, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, inform your opinion. Also, I, we're going to have an archive of our own, um, account with links to all the fix we mentioned in our episode, including that soulmates, uh, AU, Darcy, and who one that you talked yeah, about? Yeah, I was, I was tempted to, uh, Darcy and, uh, Sam Wilson, and I was tempted to wreck that one, but I kind of spoiled the, like the middle of it. So I might wreck that in the future after people have hopefully forgotten that I spoiled it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you're really, never be forgiven. It, you can find the link and read it now. But yeah, we're going to, we're going to share links so you don't have to go back to the beginning of the wreck to figure out what the title was and all that stuff. You can just, you know, find it again in text form after the, after you're done listening to the episode. And my wreck. So. Um, we talked about Sherlock a bit earlier in the uh, episode, and there's um, also the fact that I like to listen to Podfic, which is like audiobook versions of fanfiction. So when you search all Podfics on Archive of Our Own that have to do with um, asexuality, and you sort by date, the oldest one is a really sweet story. This one's actually not necessarily including an asexual character, but it's not not including an asexual character. They leave Sherlock's sexuality very ambiguous, and they tag it asexual relationship. So this story is The Elephant in the Room by Kant Aria, and if you listen to the podfic, it is by Eos Rose. And both the performance and the writing are just amazing. And it's all John's point of view. And John is heterosexual. And so he's not attracted to men in a lot of the same ways that an asexual person would not be attracted to men or anyone. Um, so you've got John exploring what it means to be madly in love with someone while having no sexual attraction for a pretty long story. And it's just a really funny, cute, cuddly like story that has a lot of these different things that asexual people go through in a non-angsty kind of way. He's thinking about how Sherlock is objectively attractive, but, you know, not really attractive to me, like, and all the nuance of, like, things like that. Mm -hmm. John, of course, has a perspective of comparing, you know, what it's like when he is attracted to someone versus Sherlock, which asexual people often do not get to have. But overall, it's a really, it's a refreshing kind of story to come across. And the fact that it was written when only season one had aired and like the beginning of 2011 and even the podfic was recorded before 2011 was over is impressive. And I mean, back in 2011, the podfic is still like really well done. Everything about this, like the story, the writing, they they really did their homework and they really know what they're talking about in terms of attraction and the difference between how you can be in love with someone without having sexual attraction. And there's all this stuff where, at, you know, at the end, Sherlock's like, you know, I'm, you know, not interested in people that way. I said I was married to my work in the pilot of the show or whatever. And John's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care because I'm not sexually attracted to you kind of thing. So it's just this sweet journey where you have to like, it works perfectly if you interpret Sherlock as asexual and John as heterosexual. Okay. Okay. The word I was thinking of was quintessential. <laughs> and there it is. It's a good <laughs> word. Yeah. Finally, no, we're you're, free. You're fixed. Yeah, no, I've read that, that Sherlock and I, I second love the heavens wreck on that one. Um, and then I want to say, yeah, quintessential was the word, you know, um, for just, mm -hmm. just yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, one thing I'll mention is that uh, the elephant in the room, the title of this one that I wrecked is a common title for Sherlock fanfics in general. I think in general, there's a lot of um, silly elephant imagery in the show and there's all sorts of elephants in the room because they keep Sherlock's sexuality ambiguous so mm -hmm. and even John's to some extent so you can interpret you have to find the exact right one by Kant Aria to find the story I'm talking about except no other <laughs> actually no, yeah, no read others if was, you want to 
in the show, there was a moment where the elephant, like, fell off the table, and it was like, oh, no. <laughs> right, right. So just wanted to add that in there real quick. <laughs> I'm recommending a specific one. I have not read all the other ones. They're not necessarily bad, but I am just, you know, neither wrecking nor not wrecking the other ones. <laughs> we have no idea. Probably. Okay, so this was our first yeah. episode. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed making it, for sure. I mean, I a lot of fun discussing myself. everything. We have created an email account so you can contact us and tell us what you thought. Tell us what you wish we would do in the future. Tell us, you know, if you have questions or other things that you want to let us know. It's just have records of your own to share. We always out for the lookout for more Ace Fic to read. Always. Yeah, Rex for us. Rex, you wish that we would share with the listeners potentially down the line. We will think about it <laughs> and all of that. And it's just aceterpretations at gmail.com. So it's the same as our podcast name at gmail.com. Should be pretty simple. And yeah, for the first episode, that's what we've got for you. An email address and hopefully an archive of our own account for those links. Um, but yeah. That's a wrap. Thank um, you guys so much for listening. <laughs> hope you'll join us next time for our topic, headcanons. This is Wardick signing off. This is KK. I hope you guys have a wonderful day or evening. And this was Love the Heaven. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>